just like humble problem focused thing right you know just ask do you have this problem we're trying to solve it and not to be sold that makes me interested because then it's like this is probably for real welcome to the podcast b2b saw ceos with me joseph falsen as your host i'm the ceo and founder of vam that helps sales teams close more deals and book more meetings through video messaging The idea to this podcast was born because one of my personal goals is to be a world-class B2B SaaS CEO and therefore I need to learn from the best. And I want to take you with me on this journey. Hi, my name is Peter Beckman. I'm co-founder and CEO of Trade and you're listening to B2B SaaS CEOs. Hi and welcome, Peter. Thank you so much, Josef. How are you? I'm good. End of a, another crazy week. So I guess you're that sort of mix of a little bit high and a little bit tired. That's the sort of normal state, I guess, as a founder. Let's jump straight into it. First thing first, please, can you tell the listeners what does your company do? Do the elevator pitch. Trade is, uh, we, we like to say we... Uh, allow merchant brands to sell first and pay suppliers later. So there are companies like CDLP making underwear or Happy Plugs doing headphones. They almost always pay their suppliers a couple of months before they actually get the goods that they sell. So we have a credit payment service where they can uh, basically delay that payment. So we pay their suppliers for them uh, so they can sell first and pay suppliers later. We launched in 2020. Uh, we're now just under 60 people. We are uh, in the UK, Sweden, and well, now also in all the Nordic countries uh, and expanding rapidly. If we go not focusing on your company, but focusing on you, who is Peter Beckman? Yeah, I always, I always like to say that I'm a, a country boy from uh, southwest of Sweden, uh, the kind of guy who hated school and ended up doing a PhD in corporate strategy. Uh, I guess I will never really forgive myself for that. And uh, this is my second attempt at a startup. And I also spent uh, quite a number of years in a boutique strategy consulting role, helping mainly large corporates do business across the world and some corporate venture work as well. And if we're going to talk about stories, yeah, because I love to listen to stories, who doesn't? Can you please tell me the story of why and how trade was founded? It actually, to some extent, it's a little bit embarrassing and it's unusual, uh, I think, because uh, I actually had a... Uh, was running a different startup uh, in the US. Uh, we did, well, geographic based risk analysis using text and satellite data. So very sort of deep tech, uh, big data company. Really early, we were pre-seed. And I crashed that company uh, by myself, by being uh, a very irresponsible person, having very stupid hobbies. Uh, so I was doing some extreme sports, uh, speed riding and speed flying, and, and I had a proper crash. Uh, so put me in a wheelchair for six months, and so it was a bit of a mess. And then I got a call from Antler, the accelerator, and I thought it's time to actually restart. Uh, so excellent timing. And 
I joined Antler just you know a few months after I, I was back walking, and that's where I met my co-founder, Same, who has a much stronger history. This is actually his third uh, startup, and his previous ones were much more successful. Uh, and what we did was, I mean, the, my previous companies were really aimed at building sort of financial, like aimed towards financial services for cross-border, like helping companies in various, you know, in various ways. And and we thought, like, now we have a chance to actually restart, at least from my perspective, and decided to let's really, really start with the problem. So we spent a ton of time just talking to to SMEs who did international trade, because that's, that's my home turf. That's where I know there's so many problems to solve. And and we, you know, we talked to company after company, and, and a category among them were, they were saying exactly the same thing. Uh, or like almost copy paste answers. Like if you can solve our import problem, we'll be your customer. And okay, what's your import problem? Uh, we pay our suppliers in advance, and that is so painful. That's the biggest problem we have as a company. We say no to customers all the time. We waste so much money on doing like air freight just because it's faster. So you know we lose twenty, thirty percent of our margin to save five weeks in transport time. A lot of problems surrounding that that core of paying suppliers first. And yeah. We also then zoomed out a bit and realized that, uh, surprising to me, that almost 30% of world trade is paid with cash in advance terms. So that's like $6 trillion a year uh, that causes a lot of pain and suffering for those buyers. And that's only the cross-border piece. So we realized that if we can solve that problem, we can actually build something meaningful, solve one of those big problems for thousands and thousands of companies around the world so that's really how we got started we talked about this off record but when i was an investor for four four years ago and three years ago i actually was one of those who said no to you (laughs) and didn't (laughs) you are in good company uh that's good to hear that i wasn't the only fool that missed this great opportunity foundering i have a rule of thumb right First, you need to get kicked in the knees like 49 times. And then number 50 is probably going to be positive. You know, I think we've gotten a no from <laughs> most VCs in this part of the world at some point. Quite a few calls who say they they regret that. So, yeah, I think you're in good company. <laughs> this will most likely be one of my most expensive no's. Uh, but oh, you can't look backwards. You can only look vamos. And uh, therefore, let's move in to... You will actually be the first one in this new segment. Five quick ones. Now you need to be quick. I will say a word and you need to... The first things you think of when you hear that word. So are you ready? Yes. Sauce. Scalability for everything. This uh, is Great if you have them. Terrible if you don't. Startup founder. Ooh, I'll go for something like probably zero self-preservation. Uh, <laughs> Video messaging. Global presence. The ability to be actually present anywhere uh, rather than all the sort of old style. Just a phone call is not the same thing. Weekends. Sunday fun days. <laughs> I'm trying to remind myself. Sunday fun, fun day, at least one day a week. You need to break from the norm, normal sort of focused hard work. Good. Then we leave this segment and entering the first big segment of my two bigger segments. And the first one today is business 
development. And uh, you can't have a SaaS podcast without addressing KPIs. So let's start there. Which top KPIs are the most important for you? And please tell me also why you have chosen them. Yeah, so we, I guess like like any of your guests, we track a ton of them. And the, I think the key ones that we like to focus on are one, of course, you know, we're, we're a startup and that means you need to grow fast. So we're looking at active customer growth and of course active because uh, like new customers is not super valuable relative to customers actually stay. So that, that would be one of those just main core KPIs. Uh, the second one, which we, we feel a bit ahead of the curve on, uh, that was always important for us was the burn multiple. And I think all your listeners are probably tracking that now. Uh, uh, so growth is, is all good and well. The key question is, of course, how, what does that, co- that growth cost? How efficient is your growth? Uh, so your capital efficiency is, of course, critical. Uh, if you had endless amounts of money, you can grow super fast. But uh, if you can't do it efficiently, you're failing. And if you can do it efficiently, you're succeeding. So it's, it's really a catch-all metric as well that I like because it includes, you know, it takes into account your, your margins and everything. So it's really like company-wide, are we on the right path uh, in our growth journey? And third is uh, net retention. I think that's probably the best single metric for product market fit. If you have, you know, a very clearly positive net retention above 100%, you are roughly having product market fit, if you will. Uh, Right. So I think that sort of catches those. Those would be the three big ones uh, that that I look on all the time to just know we're on the right path fundamentally. And if I just do a follow on here regarding active customer growth, when do you say that they are active? Is it- we have an extremely strict definition. Uh, since, since our business has, like our business model is fundamentally a credit-based business model. We, like any buy now, pay later or, or equivalent type of business, uh, we give credit. And as... Uh, we define a customer as someone who owes us money. That's very clear. So if they, uh, because that's that's when we get paid. So if they, we have no sort of period after, if they if they have you know repaid all those uh, transactions or orders or loans or whatever you want to call them, they are they, that's a churn for us. And that means we also have quite a lot of resurrected customers. So we have been debating, like, maybe we should uh, create a bit more uh, of a less strict definition. It's also like a slippery slope if you start being, uh, you know, defining customers that aren't really paying customers. Uh, Then I think you might just be fooling yourself. So, you you know, it's, it's better to see that churn in your face when it happens and like, okay, something we've done something not great here. Thanks for sharing. And um, this topic is also super important for all startups and scale-ups out there. Go-to-market strategies. Can you share some of your best practices around your go-to-market strategy? Yeah, and, and maybe just a couple of words. So we, uh, on, on our sort of journey, we, we started really just experimenting uh, with various sort of go-to-market motions. And for us, we found that an outbound motion, uh, to a great extent driven by email, 
was really working uh, well for us. And we tried to analyze why that uh, that ha- it worked, you know, so well for us, and it was really connected to the problem. Uh, so we have built the entire business about a very clear pain that customers have. And when you just reach out and ask, do you have this problem, uh, and and it is actually a true problem, that works super well. And when we have now, we and we've basically gone almost all the way to here uh, uh, based on that motion. And in the past sort of six, nine months, we have uh, we have really doubled down on adding also an inbound motion. And we try to basically think of that as a synergistic piece. Uh, it's, it's not entirely to do sort of complete inbound with entirely on cell phone boarding, etc. although that is a part of it. But it's more like to strengthen the outbound, if you will. It's like to think of them working well together. So that means also like messaging and content, etc., to talk about the the problem that we're trying to solve, uh, and of course how we solve it, but you know creating recognition. So we try to think of that as sort of a synergistic piece. Uh, we we also think it's given that outbound in our type of business is a bit timing driven, uh, if you will. Uh, it's for us. It's like for certain of our customers, a, a specific time of year might be the most important uh, time for them when when they actually would need our service the most. And that means a lot of sort of call it outbound work is wasted because like, yeah, super interesting, you know, call us in the fall or whatever. So in that sense, it's also that that synergy is also clearly valuable to do some, you know, let's call it managed retargeting staying top of mind throughout that time because you know all the, we reach out to entrepreneurs uh, most of the time and they have a lot of other problems as well throughout the year so so we we try to really work highly integrated between sort of the marketing team which drives most of the most of the out or inbound together with with the sales team so it's uh, teams, I should even add now that we have multiple. And if if I uh, dig a bit deeper here, email has been super successful, and maybe you top it up with some phone. Regarding inbound, is it then social? Is it like what what is the channels for the inbound drivers? The biggest channel for inbound is paid social. Yes, there is of course you know search, both paid and and, and normal SEO work, and and we do a bit of. For us, we've found that like top of funnel podcast sponsoring has been really good because you can really find the right audience in the right setting of course but but mainly you could say it's it's paid social on the on the inbound side good then um, we look back what common mistakes do you see you did yourself with your go-to-market strategy earlier and you now wish you can share some wisdom to me and the listeners well, most of the things we tried failed in the beginning, uh, of course. So there are lots of mistakes, but um, but I think that's that's part of the process, right? You try things until you find something that really works and scales, of course. But the key mistakes I think are very classic. Like we went to to two big customers too early, and 
that's it's super exciting right when you have like this one customer could double our sort of you know revenue or whatever right that's super exciting and but we uh, the problem with that is like it takes so much of your sort of mental capacity because you're not really we weren't really built for those types of customers and then you try you like the entire organization which then at that time was like super small of course is dragged into spending so much effort on something that isn't really the right sort of product market fit so we realized after having done that mistake uh, a number of times that if we just let go of that not caring about like the size of the customer the key here is to get as many repetitions as possible uh, in and that's not only in terms of like sales and go to market but also like in working with customers to do more transactions talk to more customers etc because you learn as much from a small customer as from a big customer so but you you can do a lot more iterations if you will with smaller customers uh, so I think that's uh, that was a very it's good that we at least learned and, and adapted because that's been super helpful. Uh, and we did actually the similar thing with on the partnership side. Uh, we had a lot of, for example, large banks who wanted to work with us. And that's, of course, I mean, if you take a, a large bank, they have hundreds of thousands of potential customers. Uh, and that's only businesses. And of course, if they would be interested in rolling out your service to that customer base, that seems like extremely attractive right when you're struggling to for every single one yeah uh, but again the realization was that if we do this this is probably going to go you know 12 to 18 months before you could go live with something and it's still not going to be great and in that time you know if that fails we'll die right and more importantly again it's like we won't learn a lot by doing that it would be so it's much better to just have like the iterative approach of like a little bit better every day uh just growing exponentially you'll end up in the same place anyway and you'll end up there with much higher quality your product will be better your team will have learned more etc so that was i think that's like one of those key things that happens to most people in the beginning Right, go enterprise because like that, this deal is gonna change the world for us, right? But <laughs> it won't too early. <laughs> if we're talking about outreach, your ball game, what would you say is the best way to do cold outreach to you? If I'm a salesperson and would like to get your attention, it's it's honestly hard to 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 make a difference between what we do and what I like because it's uh, we we have tried. Now we're talking about you, what you like, and I appreciate. A sort of just like again, sort of humble, problem-focused thing, right? You know, just ask, do you have this problem? We're trying to solve it, and like warts and all kind of explanation, uh, like not to be sold, if you know what I mean. It's like we have the best thing in the world, and and trying to like uh, paint that up, but rather than just like this is what we're building, this is what we're thinking about for these types of customers. If you're feeling like a bit transparent. Uh, in how in what you're doing as a company that makes me interested because then it's like this is probably for real uh this is probably worth listening and talking to more and then we can actually talk about like what will this work when won't it work etc so i i think that's really a nice thing when someone is a bit like yeah you know we're good at this bad at that 
uh, we're trying to solve this. We're not 100% there yet. If you start with the problem-oriented focused in the pitch and your contact, do you prefer email, LinkedIn, or phone? Definitely not phone. Uh, because <laughs> you know, I, I, when you live this lifestyle, when there's so much coming in all channels all day long, right? Uh, a phone is like someone is like basically forcing themselves into my work, if you know what I mean. So I, I think both LinkedIn. Actually, I think LinkedIn is probably the best, but all, but I realize it's really hard because it, there's so much uh, outreach on LinkedIn. So. In the end, maybe email actually works the best because that's easy, That's the fastest to skim through. I must ask the follow-on since I'm the CEO and founder of Am. Then, if I have a good pitch with a good text, would you say that a video message would help or hurt if you have gotten the value in text, but then the next step easier can be a video message to get to know me a bit? Does a video help or hurt in this scenario? I think it helps i don't see a lot of video messages uh, in the inbound or you know what for me then is inbound of course but no i think it helps i mean i think that's uh, that's very nice actually nice good to hear and we uh, we have gotten so much value in the business development segment so wow thank you and it's time to move on it's time now for a topic of your choice the only must here is that you need to be super nerdy and passionate about this. Except that I will just now sip it. The floor is yours. I cannot avoid being a bit uh, nerdy about what is going on in the whole space race, thanks to SpaceX and all that fascinating thing of us becoming, uh, being able to actually go to Mars in my lifetime. That would be really cool. And the extra fun thing i think about this whole reusable rocket idea that you know elon and and a number of other people are really pushing the ability to also use that to travel on earth to actually go anywhere in the world in say less than an hour i think that's completely fascinating to me and and just a very sort of fundamental uh first principle logic of it that if you're the, the idea that got me going on this, that like a jumbo jet, for example, is probably more expensive than a rocket to build on a sort of first principle basis, but it's still super cheap to go anywhere in the world. It's only like a few hundred dollars and you can be in Asia, right? And if you can do the same thing with a rocket, it's basically reusability that makes the whole thing change. Because fuel is not super expensive uh, and you can make sustainable fuel by electricity. And I think that's something that really fascinates me that you could transport like people and things uh, on the earth, like anywhere in, you know, minutes or, or you know, sub hour to anywhere. So I think that whole revolution of like the whole space is getting accessible all of a sudden at low cost and the entire world uh, at no time and little cost is that's i think that's so cool thank you for sharing do you have something more to add here or should we move on to an external question yeah let's go for the external one today we have a guest appearance from somebody named mikke selander and this is his question hey peter What's been the biggest challenge regarding getting the customers to understand what you are selling and why they need it? Actually getting 
customers to understand what we're selling has been extremely easy for us because we have based on that based on the fact that we built it around that pain point that we build the whole company around they really understand it we have a couple of even curious uh, stories from the early days with one customer actually brought their marketing agency uh, because they were a bit angry that they didn't find us uh, previously. Do you realize like how much money we lost on not having your service? Uh, you need to be better at marketing. And we obviously didn't, you don't want to say like, yeah, we only did this for a couple of months now. So, you know, because <laughs> you want to seem like, you know what, you know, <laughs> we've been around. Uh, so, so actually customers, but more challenging has, has actually been like, people are not in there. So investors or, even in recruiting, etc., uh, because if you haven't lived or seen that problem, it's something that it's not intuitive. Because uh, most, I mean, if you're a business buyer, you like a Swedish company buying from a Swedish company, typically you get 30 days terms from the supplier. It's not an issue for most companies. You know, 95% of companies have never seen this, and most people haven't heard about it. Uh, so investors has been a curious one when they're like. Ah, oh, so it's like factoring. It's like, no, <laughs> you know, let me explain. Mikke, thank you for your question. And Peter, thank you for the answer. Moving on to the last bigger segment, and that is leadership. And first thing here, are you a good leader? The spontaneous answer would actually be no, uh, because it's, uh, I, I think there are some, some things that actually work, but the challenge is like actually spending time on like being a leader a manager that's something i feel is really hard to actually uh you know spend time with your colleagues or i guess subordinates if you want to be uh talking about leadership but i think that's a big challenge the upside of course in the end is like i i think leadership to some extent is can be seen as quite simple in the sense of like if you if you work really hard and stay humble, you're sort of 80% there, I think. And I think on that, uh, I feel that at least I, I deliver uh, to some extent. Uh, so, so, so in that sense, I think, I think it actually, you know, it works okay, despite the lack of actual time and effort that I would love to spend more on actually, you know, just acting as a leader. What would you say are your two or three main superpowers? The top one is definitely I am extremely stubborn. And I think that that is uh, what has taken at least me to where I am today. And I think it's a, a, a quite a valuable treat in a, in a startup uh, because all you do all day is, you know, going through obstacles and trying to do something that people would think is, you know, not possible, too little resources with too big ambitions. Uh, and so I would say stubborn. <laughs> Maybe that's like one, one, two, and three. Uh, <laughs> okay, superpower number one, two, and three, stubborn. Yes. Odd things then, if you need to share an odd thing that you or a leader about you in the past have done that seemed really strange at the moment, but now when you look back, it actually had a great amount of impact. Any odd things here? One that I always kept with me was uh, my my former employer. Uh, when I 
you know, I applied for, for that job. I was living in Switzerland and was recruited by this company in Stockholm. And, and actually, they reached out to me first. And when we had met a number of times, uh, he said, you know, what other jobs uh, are you looking for? Uh, and he, in practice, forced me to apply for a couple of other jobs that I really wanted. He even helped me with an introduction to a competitor because uh, he said that, I don't want you to just choose this job because I want this to be like an active choice, not because like the only one on the table right now. If you actively like make a choice to start uh, here, uh, I don't want you to be looking back and thinking about, you know, maybe I should have done the other thing uh, and leave. And that was really curious to me, right? You're applying for a job, you really want it. And they're telling you like, yeah, go and uh, go into this other recruiting processes, uh, which I did. And then in the end, I, I obviously made that choice. And it's, and it is intelligent for two reasons, right? One is that it was actually an active, active choice. I never, never talked to a recruiter or anything after that. I just, I knew I was in the right place. And the second thing, which is especially interesting, I think, if you're a startup, uh, is that they look like the really cool ones, right? How could you yeah. not choose that one, right? If you don't have the big brand name, etc., right? If you have that kind of confidence, yeah, that's so I, I think that's a kind of a clever little trick. If you can back it up with some other good stuff, that's a baller move. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, and it worked on me. Uh, this one I, I've never heard about before. Yeah, this was a truly odd thing that I, yeah, I will most likely try it going forward also. So, ah, great input here. And um, yeah, going to a bit sadder topic then. Bad things, worst things. What would you say are the worst things, according to you, regarding being a leader and how do you handle it and solve it? Fundamentally, I think the worst thing of being a leader is that you spend almost all your time on problems or like, you know, the worst kinds of problems, uh, because in the end, what you're trying to do is, of course, delegate and trust and let people do their thing. They are better than you. That's why you hire them. Right. But problems do occur everywhere and they they tend to, of course, boil upwards right? It's usually something that includes, you know, not only that person, if it was that simple, they would solve it themselves. So that means you have a tendency as a leader to mainly spend the time on the painful, challenging things, things that have gone wrong or could go wrong or that aren't working. And I think the bigger the organization, the more time you actually spend on that. In the beginning, when you're a small team, well, you do like everyone else, you can spend your, your days like talking to customers. I mean, my favorite thing of doing support, which is, that's awesome, right? I mean, just talking to customers and working and learning from them. Now it's much more about like other people do that. And and when things are for some reason not working internally or with the customer, it's like, that's when, you know, so you're, they fill up with those kinds of things. That's a bit, sorry, that's a lot of words, but that's really. <laughs> oh, that's a good summary. Yeah, great, great input. And then we have uh, arrived to the end of leadership. And now I want you to summarize leadership from your point of view with one word. What would that be? I would say trust. Uh, that's the, I think that's the core thing in the end, like to, sh to give uh, trust, if you can say that in English, uh, to people. 
Uh, I think that's very, very fundamental uh, part of leadership. Uh, because if you give trust to people, people tend to react by actually taking ownership. Then you get an organization that really goes uh, somewhere uh, where more people contribute by taking ownership. So that would be the, the one word. Leadership is all about trust then. And we are now entering the roundup. So we only have three questions left. And the first one here. Which other two B2B SaaS CEOs do you think are doing interesting stuff, leading cool companies, and would like to listen to here if I would interview them? I think it would be really cool to listen to Alok Alström from AppJobs. Uh, he's a super interesting and, and thoughtful guy. Uh, the second one would be, I think, uh, Charlotte from Timico. We love the, the service. Uh, I know her really well, and I think their vision and what they're doing is really cool. I have already interviewed her. So for anybody that wants to listen to Charlotte, yes, go to early episode. So thank you for the names, Peter. And uh, second last question. If you would give yourself a need to give yourself when you were a younger CEO, top one to three things to think of that you now know that you didn't know, what would you tell yourself? So... The first thing is 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 going to be like work hard, and that is obvious. But the thing is that it never gets easier. It's always going to be even more. Uh, and the second and third will be related because, like, the second would be to like you need to exercise like continually uh, to actually function well. And the third is to remember to sleep. Uh, I, I think. That kind of trio sort of summarizes what you really need to make things work. Like you work hard for a long time and keep up exercise and sleep, you'll be fine. And the very last question then, where will trade be in five years? So in five years, trade will, in my mind, of course, for certain be, I mean, we will be what we're building for. We want to be truly global. So active in in all continents. with uh, a really large geographic coverage. Uh, We're solving a global problem, so that is really core to us. And the other sort of a bit more fluffy thing is that people will see that hardware has become as scalable as software, because that's really the the vision that we're building towards. We think that is possible thanks to this whole sassification of the world, uh, where we see ourselves as a piece of that puzzle to make like the world of hardware as uh, as scalable as software. And I wish you the best of luck with that, Peter. And now I'm quickly shifting the focus to you who's been listening. Two quick ones. Number one, if you got some value here, please tell a friend or colleague to listen to this episode. And number two, press the subscription button. We have great guests coming up every week here. And Peter, a huge, huge thank you for taking around 30 minutes of your precious time to help the community and me to keep on learning. Thanks a million, Josef. That was super fun.